Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 34th blockbuster episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's always been a masterpiece, despite being a little rough around the edges. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering, finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka MTG Critic on the interwebs. My co-host is Travis Allen, aka at Wizard Bumpin, and we're here to help you guys make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to our 34th show. I'm looking forward to our conversation this week. Our show is sponsored by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to manage your collection, track your specs, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. Travis, why don't you break down the agenda for everybody this week? Sure. This week, we start out with segment one. It's our top movers, where we will look at the cards that have seen the largest price increases over the last week. Segment two is our cards to watch. These are cards James and I are keeping our eyes on as uh, possibly experiencing some jumps in price. Segment three is our metagame week in review. This week, we'll be looking at Star City Orlando, the modern event that fired with about 600 players. And finally, segment four is our topic of the week. We'll be looking at the upcoming ban and restricted list this coming Monday and talking about what we may or may not see there and what might happen if we do. So let's start in right at the bottom on segment one, top movers. Our first card for the week is Brushland from fifth edition. Started the week at around 13. It's now about $20, $21 uh, for a good 60% gain. This is not too surprising for anyone that's been listening for a few weeks now. Um, we've seen various versions of Brushland show up in our top mover list. This is just yet another copy that's finally fallen um, as Bantel Drazi really pushes prices across the format. Yeah, yeah, and people forget that it's been a while since this that particular cycle of Painlands has been reprinted. Um, but you know, the, this is what the bulk guys call a superstar windfall event. Um, they all use that exact term uh, yep, to, des- bet. to describe pulling <laughs> previous 50 cent bulk <laughs> rares out of the bin and selling them for $15. The old superstar windfall event. Yep. Industry standard terminology. Yeah. All right. So next on our list, we've got uh, foils of Opsin and Bayloth from M11 uh, making a move from $25 to about $40 for a $15 gain. Uh, that's good for about 60%. This is uh, low supply um, as modern players find uses for this, typically out of the sideboard, um, to combat some of the discard decks. Uh, Eight Rack made a big appearance at uh, the SCG Modern last weekend and uh, decks a bit on the move. So people are uh, stocking counters and Relatively low supply on these to begin with. Yeah, this has been a, a sideboard card in modern basically since day zero. Um, I'm kind of surprised that it took this long for the foils to really jump that much, but uh, given enough time, they'll get there eventually. I mean, it's always been good um, as something to have in hand when Liliana goes to work. Um, and uh, if 8-Rack makes inroads in the format, uh, since it's highly likely to uh, ban all uh, or dodge all possible uh, ban list adjustments, um, then uh, that might be something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I mean, the fact that it's um, very powerful against discard strategies, um, you know, and, and Liliana decks, and also good against burn uh, is definitely definitely means it just shows up in so many green lists um next up on our list is panharmonicon 
Uh, you may not know this card. That's because it's from Kaladesh, and we are looking at the foils specifically. Um, you were able to pre-order this card around the start of the week for $10 to $11, and the prices have now jumped up to about 19 on TCG Player at least for about a 70% gain. Um, Panharmonicon is the four mana artifact that doubles all enter the battlefield abilities. Uh, so if you've ever played a game of EDH, you would understand why this is uh, going to be sought after. Um, but the market price is still around 11 or 12. Uh, you know, there's only a couple copies at 20, but to be fair, I don't think there were probably ever more than like five to 10 of these listed at any point. So I wouldn't take this as, uh, as, as too big of a deal yet. Yeah. These aren't set in stone yet. They could, they could keep trucking, but I suspect that given, uh, as long as those, uh, masterpieces come out, um, in reasonably decent shape, uh, from the packs this weekend, I would expect that the foils for all of the kind of janky EDH only rares will fall before, um, you get a chance to get in further down the road. Yeah. And I mean, this is, this is like gold standard EDH card. It's hard to imagine a card that people would want more for that format, but even still, I'm not paying 20 bucks for foils on this yet. Yeah, I, I just feel like we're gonna get a we're gonna get a chance at a lower price, um, even if the long term trend is high. And then this is one of those cases where I think the the upside of holding steady is higher than the uh, likely upside of jumping in now. Um, if yeah. this goes straight to sixty and sits there, I'll you know politely clap for whoever gets in early. <laughs> yeah, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I I want to take the next card because this one's cool. Uh, our next card on the list is Platinum Imperion from Scars of Mirrodin. We're looking at the non-foil version. Started the week at eight bucks. It's up to about fourteen or fifteen for a good seventy-five percent gain. Platinum Empyrean is an artifact that says your life total cannot change, can't go up or can't go down. Um, during the Kaladesh spoilers, a rare red sorcery popped up that uh, you start flipping cards from the top of your library until you hit an artifact, and then that artifact goes directly into play. And then you take damage equal to it's the number of cards that it took you to get there. Um, so it's sort of like a spoils of the vault. Um, but what's interesting is if you flip Platinum Empyrean, because you, the, because of the wording on the card, you flip Platinum Empyrean first, then Madcap Experiment tries to do the damage to you for however many cards you flip past. And it can't, and it, the damage does nothing because your life total can't change. Platinum Empyrean is in play. Um, it also works with Platinum Angel. You still take the damage, but it, it won't kill you. Um, so people apparently think this is going to be good enough. I will say, you know, being able to turn four or even turn three or yeah, hell, turn two, I guess, um, a Platinum Empyrean is pretty powerful. Uh, I mean, essentially, you're paying four mana for an 8-8 that prevents your life from changing. Um, because of the way the card is designed, uh, basically, once the Madcap, uh, uh, the Madcap experiment resolves, um, you aren't taking damage from it. So you can't get blown out by a removal spell and just take 30 damage out of nowhere. Um, so it's, it's, it's protected against that. It's not a combo in the way that Splinter Twin is a combo where you just you know, pay for and win the game. Um, but Platinum Empyrean is going to be very difficult for a lot of strategies to beat. Uh, you know, if they don't have the path in hand, they're just, they just kind of sit around and wait until they can get rid of it um, because their attacks do absolutely nothing. And some decks are just completely cold to it. So I don't think that this is really a thing in modern, um, but it's hard to say we might get there. I guess it kind of depends on what the rest of the list looks like. And if we do get there, 
I'm still not really crazy about Platinum Empyrean because the list would probably only play one to two. Um, you're unlikely to play a full play set since you're tutoring for it. Yep, that all makes sense to me. So moving on, we've got uh, Grafdigger's Cage Foils, uh, another modern uh, sideboard card that's become increasingly important against decks that are uh, trying to get creatures into play off Collected Company or fool around with the graveyards. Foils from uh, Dark Ascension moving from $35 to $65 for a $30 gain. That's almost 85% on the week. Um, you know, a lot of modern usage, uh, increasing use profile and low supply uh, equals a big pump. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, we've now got two modern sideboard foils this week that are showing up. So uh, maybe really worth paying attention at some of the other sideboard cards that are floating around there and seeing if there's anything else from that sort of like, uh, you know, late, you know, maybe future site to M13 era worth of cards that we could look at for foil sideboard cards. Yeah, I'll let you take the next one. So we've got uh, a couple of cards at a Kaladesh making a move this week, um, because as you know, it's impossible to make card, uh, any money on cards from a fall set. Um, Smuggler's Copter is increasingly um, uh, has a bull, bullseye on his forehead as one of the most important cards in standard, uh, moving through people's testing regiments uh, over the last week or so. Uh, there's a lot of buzz that this card is the real deal. might even be possible to get played in modern. Uh, it's moved from $3 to $7 this week for about 133% gain. Um, kudos to people that recognized the card early, got in around, uh, I think $2 was uh, early pricing on Star City, if I'm not mistaken, and are going to get a chance to get out over 6 um, before the card uh, loses some ground when it's heavily, heavily opened over the next four to six weeks. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is a, a cool looking card. Um, I'll be curious to see what it manages to do in standard. It certainly looks like it will be uh, pervasive, at least. I mean, uh, the crew cost is so low. Um, and I mean, that ability is so useful. Yeah, so I mean, there's de- the red-white deck has definitely been gifted to us in standard. It's not clear if it's any good yet, but the pieces are all there. Um, but the thing is, I've seen Smuggler's Copper showing up in a lot of brews that aren't necessarily vehicle-specific, um, where it's not being used as a build-around, but rather as a super-efficient 3-3 beater in the air that allows you to preemptively um, draw a card um on the attack. So what that means is that you can get a chance to look at more cards um, before they've even blocked and then do something about it with the card that you've drawn, getting rid of uh, whatever card you don't need given the situation. Um, given that the crew cost is as low as can be, crew of one, um, yeah, this is going to be a major mover and shaker all the way through the fall would be my guess. Yeah, I really like that the vehicles are so good at turning your dinky creatures that just get stonewalled into something useful you're going to have servo or thopter tokens servo tokens especially sitting around unable to attack um, and before you just stared at each other but now it actually does something useful uh so you know it really makes those small creatures gives them extra value later in the game which is going to be um more valuable i think than is obvious at first glance I mean, in my own testing, oddly enough, the the servos and thopter token cards don't seem strong enough for many of them to make it into standard. Um, but it doesn't really matter. It seems like you can just, uh, you know, any early drop can turn on the copter, and because of the you know card advantage you get through 
attacking with copter, the card disadvantage by having a crew is kind of mitigated. Um, and on our next card, um, the other vehicle that's made a move this week, Fleet Wheel, Wheel Cruiser. This is the uh, five three for four um, trample haste. Uh, that gets one free attack without being crewed and then has crew two from there on out. Um, you know, this one moved from 75 cents to $2 for about 167% gain. Um, also being tested in both red-white uh, vehicle decks, but also in, in green-red kind of mid-range energy-based decks. Um, and, you know, seems to do a, a lot of damage. It's not clear to me how many decks are going to end up wanting Fleet Wheel Cruiser versus, say, um, the red 4-4 four four that gets to attack twice before he runs out of energy. Um, but, uh, that's Lathnu Helion that I'm talking about two and a red, uh, for a four, four haste gives you two energy when it comes into play. And then at the beginning of your end step, you sack it if you don't have any energy left. Um, but you know, both of them are being tested quite heavily and, and are looking interesting. Lathnu Helion's uh, currently available in and around a dollar, by the way, which is uh, a potential, uh, rare to have your eye on if you believe that like, uh, copter rares in this set can make it to five or six before they crash. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing to remember with Fleet Wheel, Wheel Cruiser at this point is that it's in the intro deck or, you know, the Planeswalker deck, whatever they're called these days. Um, so this $2 price tag is probably going to be uh, unlikely to stick simply because they're going to be, um, I assume, in the Chandra in the Chandra deck. So not getting too far ahead of ourselves with these Fleet Wheel Cruisers. Yeah, it definitely has a ceiling um, worth paying attention to it, it, when it's pro-offered through the commonly available mass market decks. Yeah. Yep. All right. So let's finish off the week here. Uh, Seeds of Innocence. It is from Mirage. It is reserve list, which will explain almost everything. Started the week at about 55 cents. It is now around 250 to $3. It's like a 350% gain, although I don't know how reliable that actually will be. This is a three mana sorcery that destroys all artifacts and the people, uh, the controllers gain life equal to the mana cost. Um, so, you know, you get rid of your opponent's artifacts, but you give them some life in exchange. Uh, you know, we could sit here and talk about how it's a three mana sweeper for artifacts and good, bad, whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's a reserve list card. That's what it is. Um, pretty extensive buyout too. I believe James was looking at uh, various sources to see if he could find copies. So, uh, you know, they're still on TCG player right now, like just under $3. So it's not like you save, it's not like they've gone haywire, but if whoever was picking them up at, you know, 60, 70 cents, that's, I guess they manage that. As with Polar Kraken, I think it's going to take them a long time to get their money back out of this. The market price is still setting, sitting at 85 cents. And if this was a modern playable card, uh, Affinity might be scared. Um, the, but there's just no way. I mean, there's, there's no demand for this in any format that I'm aware of. So, you know, it's people, collectors that are trying to complete sets or whatever on the go forward. And that's going to be a real slow return. Yep. Completely agree. All right. Let's jump into segment two, our cards to watch. Um, this week we are looking at, uh, oh, (laughs) getting ahead of myself. I'm going to let you start here, James. What is your first card to watch this week? I have so many picks that are going to be um, controversial this week. 
Uh, it should be a, a, a good debate. The um, <laughs> My first, <laughs> starting off strong with a confidence level of six, which is about as low as I would ever go. Um, a card I bought 16 copies of this morning, um, Nahiri's Wrath out of Eldritch Moon, um, has my ears perked up. I've seen it showing up in a variety of brews. I've been testing it myself. I think it is in the format that is forthcoming with four and five toughness creatures. Um, going to be all over the place. I think that Radiant Flames and Kozlik's Return are going to be doing too little damage um, in the early to mid game um, to be uh, major contenders. And I think it's possible that decks that want uh, specific things in the graveyard, either to recurse them uh, with cards like Ever After, or because they're trying to hit Delirium, are going to be more interested in giving up Nahiri's Wrath plus some other uh, four or five casting cost card to basically clear the opponent's board of planeswalkers and creatures in one fell swoop. Um, it's a mythic. Uh, it's only $2, and uh, I think there's a pretty solid upside for this to hit six um, with very little downside. This is a curious card. I mean, I remember when it was spoiled, I kind of wondered if it was the new um, Bonfire or the Damned. Clearly, it hasn't been uh, so far, at least. I mean, it, it does. It is very powerful. Uh, so I don't question that. I guess at a dollar to a dollar fifty, you know, if you can manage to get in that cheap, go for it. Uh, I don't have a problem with that. Um the worst case scenario is I guess it just doesn't do much and then you just end up in the same boat. But, you know, I like under-costed wraths in general. Um, you know, the, the downside doesn't seem like it's going to be that big of a deal, especially in sets with um, madness. So so I like this. I mean, I, I agree that it's a, a little bit of a long shot, but it is certainly um, – promising and could could prove uh, quite quite a good return yeah here's some of the thinking around it the the con you know i already discussed it the alternatives um but some of the other points worth considering are um one of the big downsides for it is that it's a sorcery so it cannot hit say smuggler's copter which is going to be a card that you're going to need to be able to deal with but there are red instances that deal with that um and so i think you can you can lean on them to clean up um you know the first copter you see and then this is the play on four or five or six to clean up the two or three creatures that are still on the board like tireless tracker or what have you um it doesn't have a restriction against flyers which could be important uh, against both uh uh blue white flyers decks and anything else that wants to fly over um but it's mm-hmm. you know it's bad against all the rest of the equipment as well so there, there is that um on the plus side uh there's the possibility that you want to be throwing gear hulks or something into the graveyard um and then bringing them back later um if you're bringing back uh uh if you're discarding some big instant or sorcery and then using torrential gear hulk the blue one to cast it for free um you're starting to generate a pretty crazy value engine um, and some of the green red decks or green black decks that are after delirium and are going to be leveraging traverse the Ulvenwald, um, you know, could really be in the market to get the right, uh, um, uh, card types in the graveyard at the right time. Um, so by no means is this guaranteed the metagame is still very much in flux and we'll have to see how it shakes up in the, the first few weeks of the format. Uh, if this was a rare, I wouldn't have touched it, but as a mythic at $2, um, and the fact that it's been working out in a couple of the decks I've been testing, um, I was willing to take the plunge. I guess, I guess, you know, I, I guess I kind of like this um, on turn, maybe on turn four, you play your fast land tapped, Unahiri's Wrath pitching like three cards. Um, you wipe their board 
and then you untap play a land uh, Ishkana for full value. And then the turn after that, you Hulk. Um, so you wipe their board and then you go Ishkana on the Hulk. I mean, that's a, it's a pretty brutal sequence for sure. Uh, you don't even have to get a ton of value out of the cards you just discarded. You just, you know, essentially broke even with them. You kind of one for one them and then, you know, turned yourself on for delirium. So, uh, yeah, there, there's certainly, there's certainly fertile ground there. Well, I mean, the fact that you can't hit players, so it can't end games. Um, you know, the fact that it's not an earthquake certainly hurts it a little. Um, yeah, but it's not necessarily card disadvantage because assuming you're clearing a planeswalker in one creature or two creatures, which is the only time you're going to want to cast this anyway, um, you, you're going to probably discard one card with it and you might go two for two. You might go two for three. Um, you might take out uh, a Gideon uh, and, uh, you know, a tireless tracker and some other creature that's sitting on the table. Um, and the fact that it can't target... You know, vehicles is also true of Kozlik's Return because another vehicle is worth playing have two life anyway on the first pass with that card, and Radiant Flames is unlikely to hit for any hit any harder than this and doesn't have any additional upside in the graveyard. So it, it's an interesting card. Um, definitely not the I don't think it should be anybody's top priority, but it's something to keep an eye on as you see um, you know as you see early results. Keep an eye on it. It might be something you want to pull the trigger on a little later. For sure. For sure. Um, okay, so I'm going to jump on to my first card. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of like a six-ish on this, uh, short to mid. I'm looking at Eldritch Evolution. Uh, this is the three-mana sorcery from Eldritch Moon that people were very excited about when it was spoiled. Uh, it's been relatively quiet so far in Standard, although we have seen it pop up in Modern from time to time. Um, currently hanging right around $4, uh, maybe a little pricier than that in a few spots. Um, but you know, in the, in the short to midterm, I could see this doubling up to eight to $10, uh, possibly more than that. Um, Eldritch Evolution has shown that it's, uh, very playable in the Kiki core decks in modern. So we know that it is useful, at least there and, and solid. The reason I am picking it out this week is that the Gear Hulks represent a, a very, value-laden level to be shooting for when you are evolving something. So before we got to Kaladesh, there was sort of this, like there were some cards at five, six, seven mana that you you might want to evolve into, but there was not necessarily one for every color and they might have been a little specific. But now it's like, yeah, no matter what color you're in, there is a damn good hulk to go get um and being able to hulk on uh you know turn four um with an evolution is is gonna be is gonna be quite solid so um i'm a fan of this uh i think it's an easy double up and i think that the hulks represent um a, a very good reason to be playing eldritch evolution now that didn't necessarily exist in the past I'm definitely a fan of this card long term because I think it it's open-ended synergy with all the crazy things that can take place in modern means that it, it will, in fact, uh, have a long-term home in that format sooner or later um, and not just in the deck that it's currently being played in. Um, I'm not, I, I haven't seen in testing thus far for this standard that uh, anyone has really cracked the nut of how to make it work um, for this fall, but that doesn't mean it's not going to happen. Um, I'm not sure what the four drop is that you're segueing into the, into the hulks with, um, the, one of the problems is that the, the vehicles have to be turned on before you can trade up. 
Um, but I guess if you crew them and then attack with like a fleet wheel cruiser or something and then go into a Virgerous Gear Hulk um, and spread the counters around, that could be pretty gross depending on what else was sitting on the table. Um, you know, it's a card that I, I love cards that have open-ended synergy in modern and have a shot uh, in standard. And this definitely ticks those boxes. Well, I like that you can um, turn to a Grim Flare, turn three, play, I don't know, something, and then turn four, uh, evolve the three drop into Ver- Verduous Gearhulk and dump four counters onto your Grim Flare and possibly turn on Delirium. So now your Grim Flare is swinging as a, like an 8 8 trample uh, on turn four. Um, yeah, so so definitely some some sequences in there that are going to be uh, unpleasant for your opponent. Yeah, that's pretty sexy to go into an eight eight trampler or spread a bunch of tokens around on five. Yeah, the, yeah, the green and the white gear hulk are both on five, uh, as opposed to the other to the Grixis hulks, which are six mana. Yeah. Okay. So I I, I can buy into the fact that that may find a home uh, sometime this fall. So my next pick is uh, Retreat to Coralhem Foils um, with a mid to long term uh, rating and a confidence level of eight. This is the battle for Zendikar Uncommon. Um, currently still sitting at around $2 for the foils, and I could easily see them being $8 cards down the road. Similar uh, kind of profile to Lingering Souls as it started to ascend in modern several years back. Um, keep in mind that as an uncommon, there's a lot more of these foils around. Um, uh, there's not a tremendous amount of inventory on TCG player, but this deck needs to keep doing well for that inventory to drain out of the marketplace. Um, you don't need to be in a rush to pick these up at two. Um, but I've got, uh, several Russian foil copies that I've been, that I, uh, popped and then bought some extras, uh, last fall. And I've been picking up the English ones here and there in trade. Um, and happy to do so because if modern is, it's true that modern is headed in a direction that is going to be more mid range and less aggro. Um, you know, most of the talk around the ban list seems to be about getting rid of cards that enable early kill decks. Um, then it has to be good for the mid range, uh, quote unquote fair or fair slash combo decks like, like retreat to Coral Helm, um, which could mean the increased demand for this card down the road as people find additional uses. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's I I didn't realize the foil on this is only two dollars when I saw it in the show notes here, and I, I do like this as just kind of a quiet sleeper pick. Um, it's just going to kind of keep on grinding, keep on ticking up, and, and yeah, six, eight, ten dollars all seem extremely reasonable for this card to me. Yep. So tell me about Mind's Dilation from Eldritch Moon. Yeah, Mind's Dilation is the other direction. So Eldritch Evolution was sort of my short to mid standard card. Mind's Dilation is my long term, not sexy, not exciting, but reliable EDH card. Mind's Dilation is a seven mana enchantment in blue. Uh, and wait, let me let me get the exact text for you here. Um, whenever an opponent casts his or her first spell each turn, each turn, so you can catch people on instance. That player exiles the top card of their library, and if it's non-land, you can cast it for free. <laughs> so it sort of gives your opponent's spells cascade for you. Uh, it's another one of these humongous enchantments in EDH. It uh, it does a lot. Um, you, you resolve it, and then it just kind of does things for you until people answer it. The reason I particularly like this is it's a dollar. It is a dollar mythic. 
um, from Eldritch Moon, which I think is going to end up having a lot of value crammed into it. Um, and this is easily a three, four, five, six dollar card in a year, two, three, four years. So um, again, not exciting, not sexy, but you know, as long as they don't reprint this thing, this will be worth many dollars down the road. Oh yeah, I mean, th- this is my kind of bread and honey. Um, a three to five year hold that starts at a dollar and tops out somewhere between five and ten. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't have any right now, but I put it on my list. And now every time I order cards, I'm just going to see if they have any of these in stock. And if they do, I'll probably buy them out. So there you go. I don't have any yet, but I will. Yeah, I'm going to be in for 20, 40 copies within the next couple of weeks. Um, I mean, it's just such a silly, broken effect in EDH. Like it puts a huge target on your head. Um, but th- th- as you said, it. If you're playing with four people, you could be casting up to eight free spells in a in a turn sequence, which is just ridiculous. Uh, it's even more than that, technically. I mean, like that would be ultra dreamland, but right, you would get uh, nine, right? Because each turn you could get three, each of your opponent's turns, and well, and even actually, no, it'd be it'd be twelve because they could all do it on your turn too. So yeah, I mean, and he- heaven forbid the blue red spells guy goes off. Yeah. This is not, that's never going to happen. You are never going to cast 12 spells in a turn cycle with this, but I suppose <laughs> it is there. E- even getting one for each player seems good enough for me. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, once you've paid, once you've cast two spells, you're probably fine. But okay, so, what do you got for us? So the other card that's making inroads in modern um, that is likely to set up shop there for the long term is Selfless Spirit Foils. Um, and the reason this made it onto my list is that I was noticing that the the deck that was in the Star City Games uh, that placed uh, fifth, the Coral Hem Bant deck, was running two Selfless Spirit and two Spell Queller. And the Spell Queller foils are already around uh, $15 or so. Um, they're both rare from Eldritch Moon. The Selfless Spirit foils are only 8 bucks. So seems like uh, on the play profile and the rarity and the fact that they're from the same set, this could easily show upward momentum towards the 10 to $15 range. Um, you know, no problem. It's it's nice that the Self of Spirit does not require... Uh, the effect of giving all your creatures indestructibility is not limited to spirits or anything. It's, you know, all of your creatures, which means it can find a home in many different kinds of decks moving forward. It's the kind of card that might be valuable um, to casual spirit players um, uh, in the long term. And uh, it definitely has to keep showing up in modern to really make the foils something to be worth chasing. Um, I don't think you need to be in a huge rush to go after these, but um, if you see them under $10 um, and you think you might play them, I think you have no reason to hold back um, given that there's some potential, some real potential upside. Yeah, I, uh, I can't condone this, but only because I said that selfless spirit was bad initially and I don't want to backtrack. So, (laughs) bad card everyone's bad you should not think about it yeah and it, it may well turn out that it doesn't it doesn't have a permanent home in modern so it's not not a huge priority for me i think my confidence level on it is about a seven i think you're gonna have to hold mid to long to to see those gains um unless it starts showing up as a four of in some other uh build that's not the coral helm deck you know some spirit aggro spirits tempo deck or something um and we really are getting pretty close to a critical mass of aggro spirits in modern so that's not completely insane um, absolutely and i'm not saying that it's actually uh terrible i mean it showed up all over the place in standard i just refuse to admit that i was wrong 
Well, I mean, if you think this pick is crazy, if any of you do, um, you're really going to love my next one, um, which is <laughs> about as janky as anything I've put money into since aggressive mining, um, a card I still love, by the way. Um, so my final pick for the week, call it a bonus pick, if you will, is Dubious Challenge. Um, so this is the Kaladesh sorcery that everybody thinks is amazing the first time they read it. And then on the second and third reading, they decide that it's going to be bulk forever. Um, this is a sorcery for three and a green. Look at the top 10 cards of your library and exile up to two creature cards from among them. Then shuffle your library. Target opponent may choose one of the exiled cards and put it onto the battlefield under his or her control. Put the rest onto the battlefield under your control. So... You pick out two two creatures from the top 10 cards in your library. Your opponent picks the best one, and you get the second best one. So that sounds terrible. Um, the only thing is, at some point, there's going to be a critical mass of cards that let you cheat um, on this, either by re regaining control um, of the creature that your opponent took. In EDH, that's relatively simple. I forget what the name of the land is. Homeward Path or something. H Homeward um, Path. Yeah, that, that lets you regain control of everything that you own. Um, that obviously solves that problem, making marking this as a potential uh, EDH card for sure. Um, and if you have enough incidental effects that either easily kill the creature that the opponent took or you somehow manage to select creatures that only you would want to have, um, where they're going to hurt the opponent or uh, hamper them in some way, this could eventually be broken. Now, will that take a year or five years or 10 years? Who knows? But this rare is available at 25 cents. Um, with that kind of open-ended synergy, a terrible card waiting for the right combo pieces to unlock it, uh, I would be happy to snap up 100 copies at 25 cents each and put them away for a rainy day on the far outside chance that this finally finds a home somewhere down the road. I have a lot of words that I can say about this card. No card was spoiled in Kaladesh that I spent longer talking about with my friends in this one. I will try and spare all of you the very detailed discussion I had. Um, and I will stick to a few short points. The first is that uh, nobody read this correctly. The first three days it was spoiled. <laughs> no, no, not a single person. Um, this card looks atrocious, but part of evaluating magic cards is understanding the best case scenario, then looking at the downside and trying to figure out if you can mitigate it. Collected Company is an instant and it puts two creatures in the play under your control, no problems. But the most mana cost you're getting is six. You're getting six mana value for four mana. Dubious Challenge can flip up to 30 mana worth of permanence into play for four mana. So this thing is a humongous mana savings um, potentially, you know, easily in, you know, you could easily get in the 15 to 20 mana range um that you're flipping into play for four mana which there's almost very 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 few cards in magic that generate that type of mana advantage of course you have to work around the conditions of the card um without boring you guys about all the various ways you can approach this i think that it is not currently playable in modern um probably but i do think that the land james mentioned homeward path is extremely printable in modern 
And if they ever do, then I am really interested in this card in the rest of the deck because there's already a couple tricks to steal your creatures back with Dubious Challenge and having a land that you could play four of that does it for virtually no cost would be a really big deal. Uh, so I I like this idea. Um, I'm not sure if it came to specking on it that I'd want the Dubious Challenge itself uh, you know, maybe if I was like two or three years out, then I would start looking at that card specifically. Um, I, you know, I'd be really curious to see what cards and what other cards end up in the shell. But I do think that the strategy in general uh, is a type of thing that could suddenly one day be very good. The thing I like about it is that at 25 cents, this is about as cheap as it's ever going to be. Um, you know, maybe somebody will send, sell me some for 15 or 20 cents down the road. But if I'm trying to pick yeah. up 100 or 200 of these, I'm happy to pay 25 cents now versus 25 cents in a year. It's all the same. Like, yeah, there's an opportunity cost to holding, but I, I may as well just tick this box and put the, the little shoe box in my closet and forget about it on schedule so that I don't forget to do it later. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't disagree. I mean, the price is just so, so low um, that you're never really going to eat it too hard on this. <laughs> and if you and if you can you know you can if you can reach out to somebody and be like hey i was like every single one of your dubious challenges at 20 cents a piece or even lower if you can manage to squeeze that i mean they're still worth 10 cents right like they're never less than 10 cents so uh you're, you're not necessarily going to eat it that hard all things considered yeah so that's my super amazing pick of the week um now, as a little bonus, I have some sell cards this week based on the potential for the banned list um, to take place. I think that everybody should be very nervous holding on to, and we'll talk about this in more detail after, but I think that Might of Old Crosa, uh, you know, be a time spiral uh, pump spell that has no other uses in modern, currently sitting at $9. If uh, Infect is injured in some way, say by the banning of uh, Become Immense or something, um, might have old Crosa and, and that deck becomes unplayable or tier three or something. Um, might have old Crosa has to be on a steep downward curve from $9 down to something like one or $2. Cause I don't know who else wants that card. Um, noble hierarch, um, is peaking again after its second, uh, or its first reprinting, um, after being originally printed in conflux, it was showed up again in modern masters, 2015, uh, copies of the 2015 version are at around $65, and you could have got in on them at 30 to 35 about a month after MM15 was released. Um, it's a good time to be getting out of Noble Hierarch, not because um, the card is not going to be useful in modern, because it is, um, but you, I don't see this card getting much higher. I don't think this can be an $80 plus card. It's got a real chance of being reprinted in Modern Masters 17 next summer. Um, sometime You don't need to be in a rush to do it this week, but sometime in the next two, three, four months, you might want to think about moving out of Hierarch. Um, and then Mox Opal, um, if they decide to injure Infinity on this uh, band list or the next one or the one after that, you're not going to be wanting to hold uh, foiled out uh, Affinity cards and Mox Opal would be the primary target for something that might get banned. I, I'm still, i still... I don't think we're at a place where they're going after Affinity yet. I think it's still right where they want it to be. Although I guess Kaladesh potentially opens up some potential, you know, some some tools that might push it over the edge. But I mean, I, it's fair. Mox Opal suffers if it gets banned, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, we'll, we'll get there. We'll talk about this again in a few minutes. So first, let's go through our metagame week in review. Uh, break down the uh, top eight for the SEG Orlando Modern Tournament. Yeah, so uh, some fairly, fairly familiar lists here with a little bit of spice. 
Uh, looks like first place was Infect, as you mentioned above, but might have both Croza. Um, then we had the Instant Speed Reanimator, the kind of Grishel brand deck we've seen in the past. Uh, Affinity, some more Infect, the Night Retreat deck, uh, Eldrazi Aggro, Mono Black Control, uh, which is surprising, and uh, and Valkyrie. I think, I think they meant. Yeah, I think they m- meant to list eight rack because that's what that was. <laughs> oh, is that eight rack? Okay, yeah. okay, yeah. I didn't have the list in front of me. Yeah, and so out of the instant reanimator deck that runs four Gorio's Vengeance, four Through the Breach, Emrakul's, and Grizzlebrands, um, Collective Brutality um, showing up in yet another deck in Modern, um, and making those five dollar foils I was picking up last month look very good indeed. Um, they've already topped fifteen, and they could easily be a twenty or twenty five dollar foil down the road. Infinity and Infect looked pretty much as you would expect them to. The Coral Bant deck was running two Selfless Spirit and two Spell Queller, as I mentioned. It only runs this mode, uh, or this version only ran two Retreat to Coral Helm, so worth pointing out that my pick from earlier isn't necessarily an auto four of. Um, Eldrazi Aggro was running the usual suspects, four Eldrazi Displacer, Thought Not Seer, and Reality Smasher, um, picks we've been telling you guys to move in on for the long term. Um, the 8-rack deck runs for Urborg Tomb of Yogmoth, which is worth noting, um, a card that was mostly was uh, in high demand during Eldrazi Winter and has been largely out of favor since, um, finding a new home. And uh, the Valakut Scapeshift deck uh, was running three Anger of the Gods between the main and board, uh, which is making uh, foil Anger of the Gods that I picked up in the spring of 2014 uh, look pretty sexy at the moment. I'm happy to see Eldrazi aggro on this list again. Um, you, you know, anyone who's been listening for a while knows that I'm a fan of of the Eldrazi. Um, I keep talking about them, and I'm looking at this list and going, "Man, I should really get off my butt and start buying some of these cards." Um, so definitely, still a lot of value in there. I'm actually poking around at, at the foil Eldrazi right now, seeing what those are worth. I think I think all of the foil Eldrazi are probably going to pay off uh, down the road because I don't see these getting reprinted too often. Um, and I, th- you know, I'm, I'm looking at these price graphs, and most of them are just starting to turn around, tick up. Um, so this might be the time to get in on these if you've been looking for them. Um, and you know, you know, even if we see them show up again later on, they're unlikely to be in foils. If we see them in uh, alternative packaging and things like that. Um, other than that, that Valakit list, again, interesting. I sold all of my uh, Through the Breaches. If you've got any left, I highly recommend you do the same. Um, <clears throat> I guess I guess this kind of segues. Uh, I mean, do you, uh, do you have more that you want to say on this, or should we segue into segment four here? Well, I think it's worth uh, segueing into seg- segment four. Um, point out that people seem to be pretty, like, spooked. By you know, in fact, making rel- uh, relatively common inroads in modern, um, a lot of the complaints about um, the aggro decks is that isn't that they're fast. Is that they don't require players to interact with one another. It's kind of like they're both playing goldfish games that completely ignore one another. Um, these ga- these decks are so linear that they don't have any room for interactive cards. So th- they focus on just kind of sticking to their game plan and trying to get their 20 damage in and don't really have many cards that allow the players to, you know, demonstrate skill by outplaying each other. And as such, those, you know, the deck that wins when they go aggro on aggro tends to be, you know, whoever gets the better draw. Um, and I think there's a lot of credence to that. Um, I, I enjoy modern on a regular basis in my local metagames. Um, and I think it's important to point out that top-level modern is not the same as local modern. Um, in local modern, some kid's going to show up with a dubious challenge deck that's going to whoop my ass one day. 
Um, in top level modern, yes, you're going to see the decks that have the best chance of winning because they're about money and, and tournament points and qualifying for things. But the, the health of the format has to be judged overall, not just by what happens on camera, but what happens locally. So if your local metagame has devolved into nothing but infect and burn, then I can understand your frustration. Um, my local metagame tends to be very healthy. There's a good mix of, of kind of, you know, prevalent tier 1, 1.5 decks and insane brews that come out of nowhere. Um, and so I don't have any real complaints with the modern that I have to face in, in my life as a Magic player. But I can understand how for a lot of pros this whole situation is kind of frustrating because they, you know, as skilled players that have spent a lot of time building up their card collections and skill sets and their commitment to the game, they want to play in a format that showcases their skill and in a format that's dominated by, you know, turn three, turn four decks, maybe they're not getting a chance to do that. Yeah, you know, I I, I find the discussion about interaction to be um, maybe not quite as uh, compelling as others are. If you define interaction by what you see in standard, which is both of you cast creatures and then cast removal spells and, and combat tricks and, and so forth, then you're right. Modern doesn't quite look like that. Um, and it's, and, and in that same vein, you have games in modern where you are going to cat, you know, uh, ad nauseum is especially non-interactive. Um, as the ad nauseum player, I am not doing anything to my opponent. Occasionally they will do things to me, um, but there isn't really much of a game of magic being played. It's just, can I get there before they stop me? So that's, that's not interactive as well. But, you know, when you look at somebody like Tom Ross play, in fact, there's clearly, you know, there, there are the games where he just kills you on turn two, right? But at the same time, there are plenty of games where there's a lot of back and forth and a lot, I think some of the interaction in modern isn't quite the same as play a threat, play a removal spell against that threat. It's, uh, decide whether or not to make this play, um, you know, and you're you're interacting through some form of lack of action because you've made a conscious decision that it's the correct play, um, whereas it ha- just having run out the spell might have been a terrible idea. Um, <clears throat> at the same time, uh, weighing different lines of play, choosing whether or not to I just I think you have to measure the interaction a little differently when we talk about modern Um and, you know, Legacy is kind of a template for that. And uh, Legacy doesn't have a lot of just play a creature, play a removal spell pass. You know, the, there's a lot of interaction, but it's it's different than that format. So if you go into modern expecting that type of dynamic, you're not going to find it. It's It kind of has its own definition of interaction. And I've been, a, I've been a fan of the format since it was released, and I've been playing for a very long time. And for the most part, unless I am cat playing ad nauseum, or getting turned to'd by uh, Infect or whatever, then I find almost all of the games to be interactive in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, as I said, I'm not bored playing Modern. Um, even when I get blown out by these aggro decks, I'm fine accepting that as part of the kind of texture of the format. Um, I, I guess I wasn't yelling at you. I'm just sort of listening to the conversation and thinking about it. Yeah, and I think I think that your point is valid. Like, I think that when you talk about like Tom Ross playing Infect, I think it's totally valid to say that you know there have been times on camera where, if you understand the format well, if you understand the deck he's playing against and his deck, then you can, uh, you can read what's going on in his head, and it makes the situation a lot more interesting than if you're a casual observer. And part of this is about is about how digestible modern is as a format if you don't know the decks. 
Um, because I think it's in some ways the same as watching like Formula One. Formula One's a lot more interesting if you understand the strategy, um, if you understand the mechanics and technology of the track and what happens when different, you know, wheel um, uh, wheels are used, um, you know, in various situations and so forth. I think it's a lot more interesting to drive a Formula One car than it is for somebody to casually watch a race. It just looks like a bunch of cars flying past over and over and over again. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and, and I think and I think modern can can play out in, in in a similar way if you are a casual observer of modern or you know a, an occasional modern player. Um, Overall, do I think that the format, I, I think it would, you know, the question I'm really asking myself is, would the format be even healthier if we got rid, if we weakened some of the aggro decks? And I think that the answer is yes. Um, which decks need to be targeted? I don't know. I'd have to run the numbers and see which ones are more, most consistently killing early and most consistently dominating tournaments and, and try to make my choices from there. And I haven't run those numbers. But if I had to guess based on the chatter that I've heard, I would say that something that Overall, we have a 50-50 chance of anything getting banned. I think it's entirely possible we just get a blank list again. Um, because Wizards, since it's not a, mo- uh, a pro tour format anymore, Wizards doesn't have a ton of motivation to be manicuring it quite as often. Um, but if we do get something banned, um, it could be pieces from any of Affinity, Infect, um, there was a lot of talk about uh, Simeon's spirit guide to, you know, shut down playing things a turn early. Um, Mox Opalet of Affinity would be the likely target there. Become Immense um, for Infect might be the target, um, which only hurts the Russian foil that's sitting on my desk that I need to get rid of. Um, so I wouldn't feel super comfortable if I was holding out a blinged version of one of those decks right now. And I certainly want to, wouldn't want to be holding 20 foil mox opals because if infinity affinity becomes, you know, tier three or something, um, then <laughs> yeah, th- th- those cards cannot possibly have an upside. No, uh, I just, before we get too far away from it, I just remember seeing this one game, um, on camera. It was, Brad Nelson playing Death Shadow against Burn. And he gets to a position where he kind of stops and thinks about his line. Um, and if you are just watching the game, you just see a guy staring at a Death Shadow at a table on a table for a minute or two and then casting a card and attacking. And you're like, this is an interactive. The Burn player couldn't do anything. But it's like, well, yeah, but if you if you look at the cards that are in their hands, if you understand what's going on, you can see there's this sort of game that Brad Nelson's playing is like, well, I can make this line if he has this and I get punished. And if he doesn't, I do this. And, you know, when you when you can appreciate all the things behind it, you can see that it's much more interactive. It's just a lot of the interaction, I guess, plays out in your head um, before you eventually make your decision. Now, nah, it's, it's a different type of game, I guess, different type of interaction. But uh, anyway, I, I, I think what we mean to say is that it's it's definitely strategic, even when it's not uh clearly objective yeah um, yeah and that you know it's still me- a me- uh, it definitely is still measuring skill to pilot optimally but perhaps the format would be more interesting if the players were forced to interact with each other's cards and permanents more often moving on the cards that uh actually i think we i should i want to talk about for the banner restricted list um i think that my number one target here is simian spirit guide i mean that is just the uh, essentially the least fair card in modern i'm not saying it's the most powerful card but it's the least fair card it just doesn't do anything that you want to be happening in that format um and it's not the turn four through the breaches 
uh, rather than turn five that are necessarily a problem or, or the, you know, the turn four ad nauseums, it's the turn two chalice of the voids that that enables um, that type of thing. So Blood moon, et cetera. It, yeah. Or turn one, turn one and turn two blood moon. Right. So it's just, it just doesn't do anything that we're really excited to see happening. I think, um, both as players and observers. So I would not be expected to see this go, although I'm not convinced that it is. I'll, I just think it's it's inevitable, but not necessarily this time. If you you should only own four Simian Spirit Guides. You do not want to be holding extras at this point. Um, I even think I'm going to dig into my stash and sell the foils I have. Uh, I think I have one or two because I'm not going to be playing with them in Legacy and I don't want to get stuck with them. Other than that, Become Immense, uh, definitely a huge target on its head. Um, both because of Infect and also Death Shadow. Um, and again, that's a clearly, you know, it's, it's funny that we live in a world where double giant growth is bannable and modern, uh, but essentially it's does a lot of, does a lot, it, it cheats on mana is really what it is. Is that You're just, you're cheating on mana, which tend to be um, the, the issue when we're talking about cards that are abandoned, that are, that are trouble in modern. Uh, and on that note, uh, we also might see, I, I think a Taxian Probe, has got to have a target on its head. It, they've got to at least be aware of that card. It's You get a lot of information. It replaces itself. It's a free spell in the graveyard. It does a lot for nothing, right? There's just no mana cost to that card if you don't want it to be there. Um, so I, I would have to guess that Become Immense is probably the more likely target before they go after Gitaxian Pro, but that is also a card that is uh, questionable in the format. Of course, if they decide to leave it with absolutely no blue cards, it costs one mod and say draw a card, people might get angry. So um, I'm not sure. But at the very least, I would look to Simeon Spirit Guide and become immense first. Yep, I, th I think that's all, uh, you know, those are all valid targets and things people need to be aware of. In Legacy, the only card that is really, uh, I think still has a target on its head is Divining Top. Yeah, so, I mean, Divining Top has been annoying people in Legacy for years. Um, the Miracles deck takes forever to play its game um, because of the use of Top. And it's not clear that it really adds any texture to the format that anybody that is that is necessary to maintain the kind of uh, themes or personality of that format. No, Sunside's Divining Top really sh is, should have never been legal. It just sort of got grandfathered in. And uh, not only is it not a good card for tournament logistics in that it makes every turn take much longer than it needs to, it's also obviously quite powerful, especially in Miracles. Um, so I, I think if anything in Legacy is getting the axe, that is definitely at the top of the list. Yeah, I mean, when I was redesigning uh, the MTG price site and was figuring out what cute phrase I wanted to put in the search box, I, it said brainstorm comma fetch question mark in, in, uh, instead of search um, on the basis that doing so with a top in play is just about the most ridiculous thing you can do to find what you're looking for. Yeah, it is just so annoying too. So much shuffling. Uh, what do you like as an unban? Yeah, Bloodbraid Elf is is always a possibility. I don't think Jace the Mind Sculptor is coming back anytime soon. No, um, I, I, anyone who says that Jace the Mind Sculptor is fair and modern has never cast that card. I don't understand how people can think that. Do <laughs> not play with this card. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, the power level is too high. Um, yeah. I, I I think that I've never thought that Splinter Twin needed to be gone because it was unfair. I, I wanted it gone because I wanted to not play against it all the time. Um, yeah. I was just tired of the deck. And I think that that's really where most people were sitting. Was It, it wasn't, didn't need to be banned, but it, it, there's been so much um, fresh play that has come out of that banning that I still think it was a good idea. 
Um, and I think that banning cards just to keep things fresh is a good idea for a format that that is going to be 5, 10, 15 years with the cards and go on for a while. Um, and people need to, you know, buy their decks and, and, and choose their decks on the basis that if you're going to pick some of the more broken things to do, you're going to be at a higher risk of being subject to bannings. Yeah, and um, it, it's also worth pointing out, I think, too, that even whether you think Splinter Twin should be banned, I don't mean you, James, I mean you, the listener, think Splinter Twin should be banned, uh, it doesn't matter. They just banned it. They're not unbanning it. You're not going to see that come back in any near time frame. So, um, you know, don't expect that. Uh, Bloodbraid Elf is always a possibility. Um, I don't think it should have been banned the first time, so I'm, I'm splinter twinning myself here. Uh, but now it has been enough time that they could theoretically bring it back. The only real danger, I think, is that Jund is still uh, quite a uh, force in modern and Bloodbraid Elf may push that a little harder than they want to. Yeah, one of the interesting things with Bloodbraid Elf is that it could unlock Teamer as a viable strategy in modern um, because going Bloodbraid Elf into Ancestral Vision is crazy time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that really gives the format a deck that doesn't really exist right now um, and, and kind of a different angle than, I shouldn't say necessarily a different angle, but at least a different variant of Jund, essentially, in that kind of mid-range. Um, you know, I guess, I, I think the major concern with Blood Raid Elf right now is Blood Raid Elf and the Liliana. I mean, that's just going to be back-breaking for so many people. Um, you know, you can do things like ban Thoughtseize, uh, in order to reduce the density of their brutal disruption, but it's it's hitting stuff like Liliana or Goyf that's that's probably the the concern there, I would guess, from Wizards' perspective. And and I think that they've demonstrated pretty amply that they're not going to unban things that are maybes. They they really want to focus on things that they know they can safely reintroduce, and it's not a high priority to do so. I think it's much more likely that things will be banned than unbanned. Um, and again, I think it's a 50-50 chance we're just going to get a blank list again this time. Yeah, we, we would all, we, you know, it's, 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 it's ideal that you unban things rather than ban them. This is not only a community perspective. Wizards has said it too as well. But it is certainly uh, generally safer to ban things instead, right? Like if you ban something, you know that you're not much less likely unleashing some terrible uh, evil against the format as you would get with unbanning it where you might accidentally um you know reintroduce whatever some turn to deck or some brutally oppressive engine this is a company that gets enough pie in its face on a week-to-week basis that they don't need extra excuses for people to throw those pies no no i mean really they can ban a card and it might agitate you but most people it's not going to drive them completely out of the format um but unbanning something like jace which then dominates modern will drive people out of the format in droves so there's definitely an incentive for them to ban rather than unban um and just real quick as for the odds of seeing anything um i found that the level of community chatter tends to tie tends to track very closely with wizards behavior when you don't hear people talking about the banless change there isn't changes uh but when there's a lot of discussion ahead of time something happens um, and I would say it's been relatively quiet this time, although there's been a little bit of a discussion. So I, I'm erring on the side of nothing changing. That's kind of what I'm expecting. Um, but, you know, of course, we'll have to see. And on that note, that's a wrap for this week, folks. Uh, where can people find you online, Travis? 
Uh, well, let's see. I am on Twitter at Wizard Bumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write on MTG Price every Wednesday behind the Pro Trader wall, and I show up on the weekly-ish webcast Cartel Aristocrats with some other guys, so a couple different places. You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic, as well as via my weekly articles on MTGPrice.com, and I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the MTGPrice.com Pro Trader service. For just $4.99 a month or $49.99 per year, you can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, and a sweet set of online collection management and buy list tools that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. All right. Well, I enjoyed our episode this evening, James, and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Travis. And we'll see you guys next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.